Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is Saturday evening, and I'm drinking a hot cup of Bottom Gun Coffee from my friends at BottomGunCoffee.com. I have another great show lined up for you, but before we get started, I just wanted to make another quick announcement. I have a really special guest coming up on the podcast next week. His name is Ken Blanchard. You probably know who he is, but if you don't know this... He is a legend in the leadership space. He is co-author of more than 65 books, including the iconic The One Minute Manager, with a combined sales of over 23 million copies. He was inducted in Amazon's Hall of Fame as one of the top 25 best-selling authors of all time. He will be coming up on the show next week, so make sure you subscribe and tell your friends so you don't miss this special episode. Now, if you're looking to support what I do on this show, purchase any one of my books at johnsrenny.com, or you can visit my sponsors, bottomguncoffee.com and ihavethewatch.com. Both my sponsors use the discount code DEEP at checkout. Well, that's it. Today is another very special episode. I have the first time on this podcast an actual submarine captain here uh, to talk to you. His name is Ryan Ramsey. He is the former captain of the Royal Navy submarine HMS Turbulent. He is also the former commanding officer of the Royal Navy's Submarine Command Course, which trains future submarine captains. I'm so excited for you to hear about leadership from the perspective of an actual submarine captain. Now, if you want to know what it's like to lead like you're all in the same boat, this is your episode. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Ramsey. Ryan is the former captain of the Royal Navy submarine HMS Turbulent. He was also the commanding officer of the Submarine Command Course, which is the school for naval officers preparing to take command of a submarine. All in all, Ryan spent 23 years as a submarine officer in the Royal Navy, and I'm excited to talk to him about the 
really unique leadership lessons he learned throughout his career. So Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, you know, I got to ask you a question because I get asked every time I'm on a show, um, why did you decide uh, to go into submarines? Why did you decide that you wanted to be, of all things, a submarine officer? So, so when I, when I first joined the Navy, I didn't want to be a, a submarine officer, but you, you get a, a view of experiences at the Naval Academy. And, um, and I, I remember this one unique day where we went on board HMS Splendid, which was a, a, an S-class nuclear submarine. And it was just so unique. And you looked around, you looked at the teamwork and you looked at the camaraderie. And, and I thought, this is this is what I want to do. It's, it's, it's just amazing. And it wasn't even about being a captain of a submarine at that time. It was just about being a submariner and being part of that tight-knit crew. And, and that's why I went into submarines. Wow. Yeah. And it's, it is a very unique, tight, like you said, tight environment, a lot of uh, teamwork, camaraderie. And uh, you're, you're pretty much, you know, you know, you know, your crew really well because, you know, tight spaces, not, not many places to go. So it's a very unique environment. Yeah, it is indeed. So you spent uh, in total, uh, well, about 17 years in various roles as submarine officer before you took command. Uh, what was your experience like as a young officer when you first got to the boat and you realized that you were going to be in charge of sailors? It, it was really, um, I don't think I was prepared for it the first bit. And that's my own preparation as opposed to anything else. I think I took it a little bit for granted that I, I was going into this particular role. Um, but quickly, because you, 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 you're of no worth while you're unqualified, um, it quickly made me realize that actually everybody on that submarine knew way more than I did about the submarine itself. And, and actually, I need to bring myself up to speed if I was going to lead effectively. And so, so it really focused me. And as soon as you, as soon as you got through that, everybody trying to help you through that process, you'd realize you joined this tight knit family, the submarine service, that as long as you gave 110%, they were always going to do the same for you. And, and, and for me, that was fantastic. Yeah, it is very, it's definitely a unique uh, environment. I, I sort of felt the same. Uh, I don't know about on, 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 on the submarines over there, but I know there was like this positive peer pressure to get qualified. Like, so, you know, it, it was, you know, they'd harass you when you weren't qualified, you know, but, but there was this peer pressure that was, you need to be a valuable member of this crew and we're going to help you get there. Was that your experience as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, it, it, without being qualified, you're a passenger and there's no space for passengers on board. And so, and and even down to when when the when the submarine gets alongside, and and um, if you're not qualified, you can't be the duty officer uh, at that period of time. That that means that somebody else has got to step into that role. So you you genuinely feel um, without that pressure to get qualified that you must get qualified because otherwise you're not giving enough to the submarine. Mm, yeah, it's interesting too. Like in 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 civilian work, and you know, I've run a bunch of different companies. Is there's generally not that po that peer pressure that or that or that even internal pressure that people feel to, that they have to become valuable and useful. And uh, I know for for a fact when I left the military and came into the civilian world, I felt that pressure just naturally because I'd been there. That was the way I felt as a submariner. And uh, so it's interesting that that I wonder I wonder if that that kind of condition existed in companies if people would be more apt to learn more, become more qualified, you know, grow more. It's something that uh, I think about a lot from a business standpoint. 
And I, I agree with you totally. I mean, you know, I've been out of the Navy for uh, nearly seven years now, but every single company I've worked with on my journey to learn as much as I possibly can, it's about how much can I give back and how can I learn quickly so that I'm actually you know, giving to the company as opposed to taking from it, which which I don't want to do. Yeah, no, that's that's the same same here. Uh, we in the U.S. Navy, we called them nubs. People weren't qualified. They were non-useful bodies, and I never wanted to be a non-useful body. <laughs> it's a very uncomfortable place to be. So it is. So, um, at what point did you decide that you were going to make a career out of uh, being a submariner? What what went into the decision to say, you know what, I'm going to stay in. I'm going to do 23 years. I'm going to work my way up to command. When did, how did that decision, what was the decision like for you? So interestingly, I, I, I mean, I always think that the, the, the narrative that I tell people is I joined the submarine service and I wanted to stay with it until I was in command and um, and enjoy that journey. But when I when I left the military, I, I asked for all of my reports to, to come back. And, and it's really interesting because I was, I was flighty. Every two or so years I was going, hang on, I don't want to be here. I want to be doing something else. And, and it would have something saying, we don't know whether he's going to stay or whether he's going to go. Um, but there was a couple of tipping points for me. Um, the first one was... I was fortunate to do the first exchange with the Royal Netherlands Navy um, in their submarine service, and 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 that was that that, that really held me in. The second one was um, I went out to uh, to do an exchange with the US Navy, and, and and I got to serve with some really different people during that period of time, uh, and I really enjoyed that. And 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 that point for me, um, I was going right. That's it. This this is what I'm going to do, and this is how I'm going to do it. So. So I think to say that I started off and I was I was destined to make sure that I got to be a commanding officer is absolutely wrong. I was just trying to enjoy every single job and decide whether I was going to continue with the military up until that point, and then and then I changed my mind and 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 um, and focused on 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 the job at hand, which was to to command. So so it wasn't you weren't you weren't it wasn't your destiny, but you discovered it uh, that this was you just. It, you just kept con- continuing down the pipeline and you decided this is this is really interesting. And you got some great experiences where you said, wait, this is really what I want to do. Yeah, I think I think my, my sense of purpose is is really important. So my purpose, I, I, I when I joined the military, it was about serving my queen. It wasn't about serving the government. It wasn't about serving anything else. It was about serving the queen, and and I, and I believed that, and 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 really did use that to underpin what I did. But it was obvious that I was I was always looking for something different. And then when I eventually found it within the submarine service, that that just that just kept me in. Mm, that's great. Well, you went all the way to become a commanding officer, and uh, that is, you know, it's it's you know, it, it, there's there's a pyramid that happens, right? Is that there's a lot of junior officers come into the Navy, but there's very few that take command. So you were one of the few that made it all the way to command. So, you know, you were the commanding officer of the HMS Turbulent. Uh, Turbulent. Um, what was that experience like when you first took over the boat? I mean, what? How did you feel when you know that you had the sole responsibility for a crew of about 130 sailors and a nuclear-powered submarine? What what goes through your mind when you're stepping on board, knowing that at one at some point the lines are going to get cast off and you are going to be solely in command of this the, this vessel? I think that that first day is is so unique, and it doesn't matter how I, I spent ages preparing for that moment. In fact, my whole career had been preparing me 
to be to be a commanding officer. And I knew uh, about eight months in advance that I was I was going off to HMS Turbulent. Um, and so everything was preparing for that. But it cannot prepare you for that day when the guy that you're taking over from leaves the submarine and you go around and meet everybody. And then you go and sit in that tiny little cabin that's in, in the control room. And you go, wow, it really, this is it, it's here. And um, and it is my responsibility. And I don't think you really feel it alongside, but as soon as you get to sea for the first time, and the first time you dive the submarine in command, or the, the team are diving the submarine, but you're actually in command while you're doing it, the, 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 the real um, gravity of that responsibility, mm. you've got to get these people to do the mission. You've got to bring them back to their families. You're responsible to their families. You're accountable to their families to make sure that they get back safely and you achieve the mission. Um, so, so, so I went through that. And then after that, I, I, I stopped thinking about that because it could weigh you down massively if you, if you just consider, consider that over and over again and dealt with things um, sometimes day by day. But most of the time I'd be thinking way ahead as to the, the strategic elements we go through it. And then once you get in that routine, um, you you just accept, you understand, you you accept responsibility. If things go wrong, it's your fault and, and, and you deal with it. If things go right, that's the success of the team. Um, and you'll answer and you'll protect your team because you do, you protect your team all, all, all the time. And you, and you just you just function. It's, it's, it's a function of leadership for me. Um, and then it just becomes natural behavior. And, um, and, and then you're settled at that point. So you, you know, your training kicks in, I guess, after, after a while and you, you sort of get over the, you know, the butterflies of, Oh shoot. <laughs> there's no one, there's no one to look to when things go wrong. You're, you're it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think when, when we do the, um, the perisher course, uh, the submarine command course, you do that as a lieutenant commander before you become a, a second in command or an XO. But the reality is there's always somebody else there. And you don't realize at the time because you've done the course and you've passed and very few people do, but there's always somebody else there. So when I was an XO, the reality was the captain was there too. And my captain was great. So he would step off the submarine sometimes and let me take it to sea on my own. So I, I had that experience to build on. Um, but the reality is when you're the captain, it, it's it, the buck stops with you. And uh, not that you have to have all the answers all the time, but you, you're the one that's going to be making a lot of the decisions. Mm. Wow. In in my latest book, I have a chapter called Run Your Ship Like a Submarine Captain. If I say to you, what is what would that mean to you to 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 run your organization like a submarine captain? What are some unique uh, I don't know, what 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 would how what, how would you answer that question, I guess? So, so I, I've got a few elements really for me. So the first bit is about about your team. Know your team. Know everything about your team and know their families and understand everything about them. Because the moment that you turn around and notice a change in one of your teams and it changes the performance, that affects everything else. And you have to be able to compensate for that um, and, and help them out. The second one for me is about consistency. Um, I, I was always a very consistent, um, and I've been told this as opposed to me just saying it, but I was a consistent leader in that I was never too happy. I was never too sad. Uh, I never got angry. Um, I probably showed disappointment on occasions, but I was steady. And so what they got, what they got was a captain who was continually steady all the way through and didn't go through this dynamic of massive reactions. And in the business world, I see so many leaders who go through those, that emotional thing and can't control it. And actually you need some consistency that goes through it. The third big Big bit for me is communications. So it's about going around and just talking to people. The the the, the Royal Navy have a, t a term called walk the teak, 
which comes from Asia's victory and wooden ships. But it was about officers getting around and, and finding out what's going on, touching parts of the boat. You know, it's our submarine and, and you, you can't make decisions without having a quick look and seeing what things are there and understanding the conditions that people have to operate in. So that those for me are the um, sort of underpinning pieces that go with go with it. Yeah, and, and those those fit really well with business, right? Know your team, you know, know, know how they're motivated, be able to see when there's a change in, in their behavior, consistency, being being steady, being, you know, because we, you know, often our, our our people are affected by our mood, right? If so if you're constantly up and down, your people are up and down. If you're constantly, you know, excited about everything, they're excited and they're nervous about everything. So I think that consistency is really good. Communication is a big part of it. And what you said in terms of communications was not getting over, we called it the 1MC. I'm not sure what it was on your boat. It's not getting over the 1MC and just dictating what's going to happen. It's communication one-on-one, one -on -one, talking and listening and having the, that relationship and building that relationship. And then, um, you know, and, and, and getting out and spending time physically seeing what's going on. Walk the Teak, I've never heard that before. And uh, it's like a title for a book right there. I love that. It's actually, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, it's quite incredible. I mean, the, the other bit is I, I used to spend a lot of time reading. Somebody, somebody always asked me, who did I turn to when I when I had challenges? And and, and, and I didn't realize it until I was um, one of my friends, another submarine captain came on board and he said, you've got a lot of autobiographies um, up there from military leaders. Mm. So I used to read all the time whenever I, every chance I got. Reading is just, it's, it, you know, it's, it's just brilliant. But what I was trying to do without realizing it was validate some of the decisions I'd made because nobody else is going to test you when you're out there and say, hey, have you thought about this? Well, your crew will, but nobody's validating your decision. And that, that would really help me. And, and so some of those things, so for example, um, Hal Moore, whose, whose book um, uh, uh, is, is just fantastic, but his whole bit about teach the person below you to do your job and learn the job of the person above we instilled that massively and, and changed it to not the job below you, but two jobs below. Learn, make sure that person knows your job and then pushing everybody up. So sometimes I would step out, give um, command, so to speak, to one of my junior officers. So they got that experience and that helped them all in the future. I think it's, it's a hard thing to do, but, but you've got to do that. Yeah, that's really important. That's one of the lessons I learned, you know, as a submarine officer is that my captain would do that. He would give us, he would delegate the uh, the authority to certain, you know, certain th watches like a maneuvering watch or um, like, uh, you know, getting the boat ready for sea, you know, he would be off the boat and he'd say, you know, Rennie, you're, get the, get the, you know, get the boat ready for sea and we're going to, you know, we're going to take it out today. And, and, and he'd be off the boat somewhere and he, and I'm like, well, I've never done that before, you know? So he, they, they, but one of the things they did was they gave, they delegated authority. My captain always delegated authority, but he never delegated responsibility. He always kept that yeah. responsibility. He was, he was, he was responsible for that ship and that crew and, but he would delegate me, sort of give me the keys every once in a while, but he was always there to back me up if anything went wrong. And, and like you said, given those opportunities to do the job above you is something that was big part of my experience as well. And I try to do it in my civilian career, but I think we, we don't do that enough in business. We tend to pigeonhole people into, well, you're a quality person or you're, you're a marketing, you're a sales. And we don't tend to try to give them the opportunity where they can go to that next level or, or, or get a more generalist view of the company. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I'd agree with you. I, I, I rarely see that within businesses 
um, that I've operated in, where they where they where they spread the spread the knowledge and spread the experience and and, and create those opportunities. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit, you So on your last deployment, people need to understand this: is that you you spent 190 days under the ocean uh, and a 267 day deployment. That's that's pretty significant. And you travel more than 38,000 miles uh, on that last uh, last deployment. What what um, you know? What is it like when you when you come back to port after a successful mission like that? And um, how, what? you know, what did you feel? What were, you know, we're going to talk about a certain thing that happened on that, that mission, but, but just overall, what did it feel like to accomplish something that significant and to come home safely with your crew? What's that like as a captain? So I'll tell you, it was, it was really interesting because that last day was my last day in command as well. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, the getting home, getting home was such a struggle. I mean, she was an old submarine. She was nearly 30 years old by the time we got back and things are breaking down all the time. And when we got into the Mediterranean, it got through the Suez Canal and got into the Mediterranean, you just, you sort of just praying, praying you're going to keep it all together to get back. Um, but that last day was, um, it was a really tough day for me that that day because we, we'd been so tight as a community, came back alongside, literally handed over the keys to somebody else Steps off the submarine. I remember saying uh, on the on the one MC saying, "Man, it's been a privilege." And then feeling really tearful, really tearful. Mm. And then the happiness of seeing my kids, which was which was absolutely amazing uh, to see them on the jetty. And then and then there was this massive void because I went back home and I had no responsibility. I had mm. nobody's going to be calling me up telling me that the reactor's been shut down and and they're in this position or they've done this. I had to have my phone back, so I now no longer had a phone because I, ne- I never had a personal phone, and and it was just this blankness and and a massive void. Um, and it took me—they call it the command blues—but it took me um, it took me a while to get over that. Actually, um, it had been such a big part of my life. In fact, it consumed my mm. my life totally, and 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 I just had it removed like that in one day. But we did, you know, we got back safely after two hundred eighty-six day deployment. So I was, I was, I was happy about that too. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. One ping only, please. As I thought, John Rennie's new book, All in the Same Boat, is right over there. It's at allinthesameboatbook.com. Your orders are to get there now. And remember, be careful what you shoot at. Most things in here don't react too well to bullets. Is your boss a jerk? I understand you're in the hospital, but I'm going to need you to come in today. Do they lack any ability to actually lead people? Oh, it's fine. I'll I'll just find somebody else that can do it, okay? John is offering a new service just for you. For only $10, he will anonymously mail a copy of his best-selling book, I Have the Watch, to your boss with a personal note. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and enter the discount code BOSS at checkout. You know, you just you telling that story, the motions just just, you know, I, and I, I write about it in my book, just coming down the ladder, you know, from, uh, from you know, I had the watch. So we were on the surface coming down the ladder, knowing it's my last watch and uh, having, you know, the chief of the watch shake my hand. And and and, and it just was like, wow, I'm never going to do that again. And it's just that's a really, really weird feeling to to know that yeah. you trained so hard. You you uh, you did a lot longer than I did. But 
but then knowing that you're never going to do that job again, it's really, that's a, it's, it's really emotional. And uh, just you, you, you tell that story. I was getting, I was getting emotional just hearing it. So it's something that uh, it's pretty special to get to, to do these kind of jobs. And uh, it's hard when you step away from it. But I mean, as you say, we've trained up the next generation to, to take over and it's their, it's their time, you know, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard, yeah. but it's just uh, when it's over. Yeah. It's difficult. It is it absolutely is, and, and the whole bit for me was it was about serving a team, which was which was fantastic. It was it was the greatest privilege I could have ever had to do. It. Nothing else is going to match it, and 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 it's taken me a while to accept that. I, I can't find that same that same feeling. But I, I look back, and as long as until I get really really old and can't remember this stuff, I will always remember that as the best three years and four months that that I that I could ever have. I love it. That's so cool. Um, so I want to talk to you about that. You had an incident that happened on that patrol or on that deployment, excuse me. Um, you had a catastrophic failure of your air conditioning systems on board, uh, on board the boat and temperatures on the boat got close to about 140 degrees Fahrenheit. You had hundred percent humidity. You had 26 sailors that suffered from heat exhaustion, eight of which were life-threatening. You had a real crisis on your hand on that, uh, on that deployment. Tell us a little bit about from a leadership perspective, what you went through as the captain of this uh, of this uh, submarine, you're in charge, and you have a you have a major crisis on your hands of which could could potentially be deadly. Uh, uh, how did you go through that? What were some of the emotions? How did you lead through that time? Yeah, so the f- first, um, we, we, I mean, the incident was crazy, and it happened so quickly. I, I, when when you look back at the time, it was it was basically a two and a half hour incident that nearly cost the lives of. A lot of people, and um, and and the key bit for me was it was a completely wicked problem. I'm all about tame problems and wicked problems, and you tame problems through tra- training, and, and you train for this. But n- nobody had ever seen this. None of us had seen this before. Um, and then when when we started with the first first few casualties, um, that that was I, I found that really horrendous. Um, seeing seeing my team it, just be you know one paramedic on board trying to deal with all these different casualties and me getting around the submarine, communicating to people, checking how they are. The temperatures are crazy hot. Um, I'm starting to worry about weapons when they're going to cook off. Is the react going to shut itself down? Where do we get help from? And I'm, I'm doing all this in my mind whilst trying to assimilate information as we're, as we're going around. Now I was, I, I, I did feel I was really scared. I mean, genuinely, internally, really scared. I remember looking at a photo in the early stage of um, early stage of the incident of a photo of my my family, thinking this is it. I'm not going to see them again. And and then changing, going, no, we need to fight through this, and I need to do what I do, and and just get going with it. And and I always thought that people could see how worried and scared I was. But it comes back to that consistency piece. So because I manage emotion well i ended up in this position where people think people were my crew were going he's in control of what's going on whereas the reality was something totally different i had no idea what the answer was or what the solution was and everybody else because they were so um empowered people were just doing things i couldn't i couldn't consider all of the elements that go with it but people would just do things and that really helped me out and that gave me time to turn around and formulate a plan 
and work out uh, how we were going to how we're going to effectively save the uh, save the submarine, which is which is what we did. And the answer was something was to dive the submarine on tertiary systems with no sonar and everything else. You know, everything switched off to to minimise heat, but to get the submarine as deep as you possibly could into cooler water, which would then cool the submarine, and then give time for the engineers to find the problem and fix the problem, which is which is what happened and and what we did. It's it's brilliant because um, I you know we've talked earlier about this and where did you come up with the idea of to dive deep get to the cooler water where did that come from? So 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 um, when we were coming through the Red Sea, so I I, I looked back historically uh, at previous uh, missions, and one of the submarines HMS Superb had hit the bottom hit the uh, bottom in the Red Sea, and when you looked at the reasons for why they were so deep when they when they hit this sea mount, was they were trying to cool the submarine so they they could get more power to go faster to match up with the routing that had been planned for them, and then I looked at the 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 sort of history of the Red Sea effectively. And it's like this big bath that's just been heating up for millennia, which is why it never cools down the deeper you get. And then when we went into um, into the Gulf of Oman, we were doing some anti-submarine warfare exercises. And I remember mapping the temp... I was getting the team to map the temperature of water. And just be, for, for not for that, that was for anti-submarine warfare, but that fact that we had that information, that I went, hang on a sec, the temperature on the surface, the outside temperature is 42 degrees Celsius, the water temperature is 37 degrees Celsius. But when we did that exercise, the water temperature was 20 degrees Celsius. Let's get deep as we possibly can, because otherwise we'll never cool the boat down. And that, and that's that's how that came about. Yeah, that's, and, and, and again, you know, I think leaders who are listening into this, what does that mean for you? Well, it's it's when you have to make, you know, if every little piece of information that comes to you, your knowledge of the business, if you spend time and you know the details of your business, you know what's going on, there might be that one detail that can help you and in, in solve a tough situation that comes down the road. In this case, you had a memory of the fact that, hey, we we plotted the the uh, temperature curve at, at, you know, and we've got cooler temperatures down deep. I need to get to that point. I need to get deep. That's the way we're going to cool it down. And you never know when that one piece of information is going to make a difference, especially in a crisis where you need, where you, if you didn't, if you hadn't done that, if you hadn't remembered that, that wouldn't have been able to help you in this scenario. And, and uh, so, yeah, leaders, you know, remember those things because you never know when you're going to need that piece of information. And in this case, it saved lives uh, because you're able to cool down the ship, fix the problem. The other thing I think you mentioned too, is that you, you know, in terms of help, you were essentially helpless. There was no one. And that's one of the things that's unique about submarines is you typically operate alone and there isn't any help. And you said you were fortunate enough to be able to radio and then get help at some point uh, when you resurface. Is that right? So yeah, so what we what we did because we had to deal with everything. There was no way we could we couldn't go back to port. It was too far, and people would die, and that that's effectively it. We could I, I'd worked out that there was a helicopter base about two hours away. They could possibly get two or three helicopters out to us, but that wouldn't work for for all of the crew. Um, the nearest frigate was twenty four hours away, so there was no help, and I knew there was no help, which is why we had to deal with it ourselves. When we came back up and um, I sent a message to the headquarters to let them know what had happened and that we've got control and everything out, they weren't very happy, clearly, because they're saying there's a, and, and I sort of un- understood that they, they needed to know that their strategic asset had a problem. But of course, we switched everything off in order to um, stop putting heat into into the environment. And they, they turned around and said the same thing. You should have done this and done that and done this. And, and then 
when I came back and said, well, none of those measures, I, I thought about all those and, and you've thought the same way, which validates what, what I was thinking, but it would never have happened in the timescale that, that you needed. So this was the only option we had. This was it. This was, there was no other option except this one and it works. So. Yeah. And it worked. It saved lives. And yeah, uh, that's great. That's, I, I, you know, it's funny when I hear that story, I think of like, if, and the reason for me, it's powerful because I just imagine myself being in that scenario and how, what I would have had to do. And, and, and just the fact that you guys, that, that your team stepped up, you've, you guys come up with a plan, you save lives uh, through, through quick decisions. That's just, it's such a powerful story. And uh, it's really, really good to hear that, uh, you know, that everybody, there was no one, you know, seriously injured through that. And uh, so my, my, my team were amazing throughout all of it. Um, I mean, they just did things. I remember the most junior guy coming up to me and saying, hey, sir, do you realize none of the air purification equipment? So I hadn't even thought about air purification. I'm still thinking about something else. I said, no, I hadn't. And he said, yeah, that we're not absorbing any CO2. So he'd quickly worked out this 18-year-old kid that it's the CO2 that's going to kill us, not, not the rest of it. So he goes off uh, and puts on the emergency CO2 absorption units in order to do that. And people did loads of these different things without, without being asked, um, just because they knew that that was the right thing to do, and then just fed the information back mm-hmm. in. So they said, I've done this. And that was so, the, the empowerment piece. And it's, it's on most, sub, you know, on all submarines, people do things. Uh, but in business, if people just got on and did things without asking for permission, um, maybe you have a different different uh, outcome and a good outcome. Well, a, th- a couple of things. One is they're they're trained, and you know, as you as the captain were responsible for training the crew and make sure they knew what they were they had to do. But the other thing is it tells the story of that your youngest employee, your youngest sailor, is critical to your mission. And yeah. a lot of business leaders don't think that they're like, well, you know. I'm important. My leadership team's important. And then there's the guy scrubbing the floor. Not so important. But the truth of the matter on a submarine, every person is important. Every sailor is critical to the mission. And this is an example of an 18-year-old sailor who on his own initiative through his training knew that something had to happen. And you were focused on other things. You couldn't think of every little detail. And that 18-year-old stepped up and made sure that everybody was safe through that process. Your youngest employee, your youngest sailor is critical to your mission. That's a really important lesson there as well. Yeah. Yes, yes, indeed. So you you went on, this is crazy. You went on then to lead the prestigious Royal Navy Submarine Command Course, uh, also known as, as Perisher, is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. So so it's so a really interesting when I when I when I uh, was on my way back, um, every admiral that would come on board the submarine for briefings would just turn around to me and say, "Enjoy this; it's the best it gets." And so yeah. I, I made a decision whilst I was in my last year in command that I was going to leave the navy, yeah. and, I, and I really wanted to get into the business world because I wanted to try leadership in something totally different. Didn't know what it was. Didn't know what it looked like. Um, so, so that's what I decided. And then when I got back, they asked, um, and it was, I mean, huge privilege to be, to be even considered. Mm-hmm. And they turned around and said, would you teach the, um, the parachute course? And, um, and I, I could not say no to that. And predominantly, cause it was my last opportunity to give back to the Royal Navy submarine service. So to go into that role, uh, no, no, desire to be a, a higher rank and admiral or anything else just to give back 
to the next generation of um, submarine leaders and the crews that they were that they were going to be serving with them was a privilege. So, so yeah, I mean, it was it was it was a crazy two and a bit years. It was more challenging sometimes than being being a captain. It really was more challenging, um, but it was great to be able to give back. Yeah, and, and and this is a this is a course that doesn't that has a fairly high attrition rate. You know, people don't get through it just because you get in doesn't mean you're going to get through it. So, uh, and you're really testing. Uh, well, you're you're testing everything about that individual going through that course. Will they? Can they take command of a nuclear submarine? Can they? You know, can they do what you did? What What are some of the important lessons or things that are taught uh, through that school with these uh, with these prospective commanders? So, so the course is about six months long um, and, and basically consists of a variety of, you almost divide it into three sections. The first section is some broader knowledge about uh, the Ministry of Defence, logistics, all those type of things that you're going to have to deal with as a, a commanding officer, as a captain. Um, the second phase is a, a shore phase in the simulators. So you get to practice everything in the simulators. But make your mistakes there. This is all training, right? This is just training. Make your mistakes now because when you go to sea, um, you, making a mistake has, has consequence. And then, um, and then we take them to sea for uh, four weeks. And during that four weeks, it's it's just war, basically. It's the only way I can describe it. And it's really high-intensity war as well. The amount of um, money, assets, everything else that the, the Royal Navy shoves at this course is incredible. Multiple frigates, aircraft, special forces, you name it. Everything comes to train these train these prospective commanding officers up. And, um, and then I put them under huge amounts of stress and I stress them out to the max because they need to learn where their limits are. Mm. And the, 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 the peace and responsibility for the perisher teacher is you're the backstop. So, so they might push themselves way beyond their boundaries, but what you can't allow them to do is push them beyond your boundaries because otherwise you'll end up yeah. creating catastrophe. Um, and it's uh, my, my lesson. If, if I turn around and look at the students who passed and the students who failed, um, the students who failed, some of them went on to go and command ships. They went on to go and do other things, but they just weren't capable of commanding a submarine. And, and that's for a variety of reasons, sometimes decision-making, so procrastination over decision-making, sometimes making decisions so fast that they didn't give time to do it. So finding the right balance yeah. between when do I really need to make that decision and then making it when you do it. Controlling emotion. I said to you about consistency, but as things start happening and you start thinking this is the prize and I might be losing it and everything else, emotions go off the road. And if you start treating people badly, you're not going to pass that course because my responsibility is to the crews as well as the uh, as well as potential commanding officers. And those the combination of those two were generally why people ended up failing that course. They either failed to make the right decisions or they failed to control their emotion, their anger, um, their, their own stress management in order to manage it. And what you can't do, because once again, if you're a submarine captain, you're on your own, right? right? With your crew in a steel tube and the steel tube reflects the leadership style. And therefore it needs to be a balanced leadership style as it goes, um, as it goes forward. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's incredible. And like you said, you know, some some that don't get through that course end up being, you know, uh, captains of of surface ships. But there's something unique and special and and different to be on a submarine as a submarine captain, just because of the isolation, the you know, the the fact that you're operating without other assets, the fact that uh, 
you know, it's 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 a there's complex machinery, uh, it, weapons, and and all contained in this in this metal tube. It's it, it takes a special person to do that job. It, it does. I mean, there's there's a, there's one other thing that's really interesting. So so on a surface ship, there's always somewhere for you to go. Right. It's big enough for the space that you can go away from someone. Yeah. So you, you get really hacked off with somebody doing something, and you can go somewhere just to cool down, calm down. There's nowhere on a submarine. <laughs> yeah. And and the crew are looking at you twenty four seven, and and so that whole piece about how you manage yourself all the way through—not that you think about it all the time—but being able to manage yourself and being able to manage those emotions and being able to explain the decisions you're making and why and all those type of things um, is is a really special skill set. And not everybody's got that. Not everybody's got that. And submarine leadership is unique. Um, it, there's there's nothing else like it. I, I sometimes think about um, space shuttle or the ISS, <laughs> but, but they've got constant communications. So so right. their right. well, the submarine's got as soon as you go, that's it. Yeah. Your isolation. You're, you're, you're it. Yeah. You're hundred percent. Yeah. 24 yeah. seven. Like he says, 24 seven business. You don't go home at the end of the day. You can't have a beer. If you had a bad day, you can't go home on the weekends after a rough week. It's 24 seven in the spotlight on the stage. Um, no break. And uh, yeah. Until you get off the boat. I remember when I would get back, get off the boat, I would just tell my wife, just, I just want to hear my first name. I haven't heard my first name in so long. <laughs> I was always Lieutenant or, or, you know, or Randy, Lieutenant Randy or Mr. Randy. I just want to hear my first name. <laughs> so, yeah. so you, you have a book out and, um, and uh, it's, it's called SSN 14 and you talk, it talks about your time as a commanding officer. What, what else is in the book? What, what uh, if people are interested in learning more about your experiences, what's in the book that they could learn from? Yeah. So this is, this is written. Um, basically I, I kept unclassified diaries when, when I was in, cause I, I just wanted, you know, when I wrote the book, um, it was all about a bit of legacy so that my kids, when I'm old and, and, and I've forgotten everything, at least that's there and, and I can reflect back and read it. And I've, I've, I've read it recently, actually. I haven't read it for, since I wrote it, but, and, and actually it's, it was a really good read, rereading it and, and, and how my perception of things have changed over, over a period of time. So it's good to, to get back, get back. But what I do is I talk a bit about my leadership journey, why I chose submarines, uh, my perception at that time of what leadership was, the elements of leadership. And it's changed a little since, since I've been in, been in business. Um, and then, um, and then it talks about that 286 day deployment and takes, takes the reader through the good, takes it through the bad, through the challenges, mostly about the challenges. Um, and then, and then brings, brings you back home with hopefully some lessons that will, will help leaders, um, in the, in their own thing. I'm not telling anybody how to do it. That's not what, what, what it was there to do. It was just to share my perception of that, that period of time. Okay. So it's called SSN 14 and we'll put a link in the show notes and you're working on a new book. Is that right? I am yeah the second second book so so this one's I've, I've been asked to write this one um and it's called uh, deep pressure at the moment that name may change but the <laughs> um the, the and this is about the submarine commanding officers course and lessons from that so in, in essence the way the book's written is it's following one of the students through the whole process um and then it talks about some of the lessons that can be applied to the business world um or to any world actually um about leadership and and um and and, and how you can use those 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 elements that the course teaches okay that's fantastic that's gonna be great by the way you can't call it deep leadership i'm i'm kind of you know i'm kind of i like that name <laughs> <laughs> so 
That's great. Deep pressure. So, um, and we'll, 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 when it, when it comes out, I'll, I'd like, love to have you back on the show and talk about it. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll sure. through it and, and get it done. So when, when is that, when are you expected to have that come out? I think it'll probably be the end of end of this year. So, so, um, so I started it during lockdown, but business has been so busy that it's um, it's taken a secondary um, secondary position, and I've, I, I will have some capacity uh, capacity back this year, which is which is good. Okay, well, very good. We look forward to that, and uh, yeah, really, uh, I, I really, Ryan, I appreciate you coming on the show. I think you bring a really unique perspective. I know. <clears throat> I, I do a lot of lessons about, you know, what it's like to be on a submarine, how you can bring that to business. I think you're, you were in a lot longer than I was. You had command, which is something I never had. I think you bring some really unique uh, lessons and, and a unique perspective. So I really encourage people, if you want to dive deeper, here, I, I just said that. If you want to dive, dive deeper into this topic, I think uh, I highly recommend pick up this book, SSN 14. You'll learn a lot more. But uh, Ryan, I really appreciate you being on the show and sharing your journey uh, as a leader, as a submarine commander, and then teaching submarine commanders. Thanks. Thanks very much for having, having me. Appreciate it. Well, thanks again. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release. All in the Spanish remixes out now on Electric Cast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Electric cast.